Hallelujah. It's wonderful to be in the house of God. Whenever he said I could go on, I thought he was going to say and on and on and on. Hallelujah. Well, if, if any of you are wet, <laughs> you may get cold with the air conditioning. I see one lady with her jacket on backwards. Looked like a straight jacket from here. Hallelujah. But thank you for coming in the house of God. Weather like this, it would be easy to say, I'm staying home or wherever you were before the rain came. But I'm glad you're here, and I trust that, that it will be a time that you can be thankful afterwards that you were here and not that you say, well, that was a wasted trip. So I trust that it will be. I'd like to look to a, a verse of Scripture tonight as we begin. I would like to look to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, and I'm reading two verses, verses 19 and 20. Matthew, chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. And it's, it's familiar ground. I'm not, I'm not walking on brand new ground right now that y'all have never trod. So it's familiar to you, but listen in Matthew 18, 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my Father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now that's a, that's a wonderful passage of Scripture, but it contains a promise. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. If if three-fourths of you would have stayed away because of the weather, if there would have been two or three here, this verse would have still applied. With all of us here tonight, this verse still applies. There are more than two or three. We're gathered together in his name. Our worship has been centered around his name. I call him Jesus. So our worship has been centered around the name of Jesus Christ, and he promised that he would be in our midst. And I'm thankful for that. About a week ago, maybe now, I received a, an urgent message. And there was a request given. And then the message was, please bind together with us in prayer. Please bind together with us in prayer. The need was real. And, and the request that was given was genuine. But that message was a bit cryptic or mysterious or not easily understood by everyone. The message was, please bind together with us in prayer. Not everyone in the world would understand that statement, bind together in prayer. But I'm thankful that I understood that message. Please bind together with us in prayer. That binding together is not about bondage. That, that's not what that phrase is, is speaking about. The, the phrase binding together in prayer is not destructively restricting us. That's not what it's doing. But just the opposite, it is, it is constructively releasing us. It, it's paradoxical in a way that binding together in prayer releases us but but really what happens it releases our faith 
but it also releases God's faithfulness. So when we bind together, our faith is released, but God's faithfulness back toward us is also released. And in that binding together with one with another in his name, we release God to fulfill his own promise. And his promise was, if two or three of you agree on earth touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Now, I'd like to title my message tonight, lesson, teaching, whatever. I'd like to title it, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Now, this is an old, old, him. Uh, it, it is a very old hymn from the 1700s. It, it's, not, it's not a new worship course. <laughs> it's an old hymn. The author of this hymn was, was born in 1740. John Fawcett was his name. John Fawcett was born in 1740 in England, and he was uh, born into a very poor family. Very, very poor. By the time John was 12 years old, he was an orphan. Mother had passed away. His dad had passed away. He was an orphan. And so he became an apprentice to a tailor. And for it was an extended apprenticeship, low pay, long hours, 14 hours a day or, or longer, that he, that he worked with this particular fellow trying to, to make a living. Thank you, sir. He was trying to make a living as an apprentice to this tailor. But his, his apprenticeship was a very long apprenticeship. When he was 16 years old, he went to a revival where John Whitfield was preaching. John Whitfield was a fiery evangelist back in the 1700s. And he goes to this revival, and in that revival, he is converted from being a nothing when it comes to God to being a believer in God. And so he is, he's now a believer, and he starts walking in Christ-like ways. This happened at a young age when he was 16 years old. So he joined himself to a local church there in their little poor town. Not only were they poor, the town was poor. So he joined himself to a church there, and, and as he applied himself, he was a student. He, he was one who studied the Word of God. He, he, he mastered Scripture. Uh, later on, he, he was quite a scholar in his later years, uh, John Fawcett. But people started asking him to speak at their little church and, and speak again. And, and then it became quite often that this young fellow was asked to speak. Between the ages of 16 and 25, he was involved in the work of God in that uh, manner. At the age of 25, though, he married a lady as marrying at age 25. And so he, he got married, and almost immediately after getting married, he was asked to, to take the pastorate of a very small church near there at Waynesgate, England. And so he took the church at Waynesgate. Uh, it was a very poor community, very poor church, and not much church. There weren't many believers in the town. Here's a description of, of that someone wrote of it. These people were all farmers and shepherds, poor as Job's turkey, an uncouth lot whose speech one could hardly understand. 
unable to read, unable to write. Most of them were pagans. They were cursed with vice and ignorance and wild tempers. They were not able to pay much. And most of what John received as wages came in the form of wool that they sheared off of sheep and potatoes and other produce. When they started having children, they really had to struggle to make ends meet because it was such a poor parish. But he was faithful in ministering to those people. He started house meetings in these pagan homes, as one author historically described this community. He started house meetings in these homes. He built that assembly. He worked hard. His wife was participant in his ministry. They worked hard and built that congregation. One historian said they had to build galleries in the, in the church house so more people could have a place to sit, some type of a, of a balcony situation. Even though it was a small community, he rallied people around him and to his faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. But then there came a day uh, of, after he'd been pastoring there a few years, and, but there was a very wealthy church in London, England, uh, Carter's Hall, I think was the name of it, Carter's Lane. Carter's Lane Church in London asked him to come and be their pastor. It was a wealthy church. The pay would be better. And so he, he wrestled a little bit, and then he decided to accept the invitation to be the pastor of Carter's Lane, the wealthy church in London. And so they began packing all of their things, which... They packed it all in a little two-wheel, horse-drawn wagon. They didn't have a lot. They got it all packed. And they were getting ready to, to leave their, their place where they lived. And all of the congregation came out to, to their house where the little two-wheel wagon was. And, and the people were weeping, crying, and thanking Pastor and Miss Fawcett for their ministry to them because no longer were they illiterate no longer were they heathens no longer were they pagan cursing with vile tempers but but thanks to a pastor moving in, um, among them they had a better lot in life right as I was getting ready to leave Mary the wife said I can't stand it John I don't know how to go Kind of an old English kind of expression. I can't stand it, John. I don't know how to go. And John replied, Lord, help me, Mary. Neither can I stand it. We will unload the wagon. And so in the midst of all of the crying of the people, weeping because they were going to be leaving, their, their sorrow was turned to joy because the pastor and his wife began unpacking the wagon and, and they said, we will stay here. He looked at the crowd in history records. He said, we have changed our minds. We're going to stay. And the people rejoiced. It was, there was just... They were so happy because this is the pastor and his wife and family who had, done, who had poured themselves into that local poor congregation. And yet they turned down the rich congregation to stay with the congregation that there was a fellowship, a bond of love that they shared with each other. So later he contacted the, the London church and told them, I've changed my mind. I'm going to stay here in this poor place. He was quite a man. 
at some point, he, he wrote an essay called Anger. And, and he, was, he was quite a scholar, quite a writer. And he wrote an essay called Anger. And King George III read his essay. And upon reading the essay, King George was so moved with it, he called it my favorite essay. And he contacted John Fawcett. And this is what King George III offered to him. said, I would, I would like to give to you whatever you want. Uh, any gift, any favor that I can give you, I'd like to, to give it to you. But John Fawcett declined King George's offering of whatever he wanted. And he said, I have lived among my own people enjoying their love. God has blessed my labors among them, and I'd need nothing which even a king could supply. He didn't say that in a haughty way, that he didn't need the king's offer, but he said it in an humble way. I, I dwell with people that I love, and my work has been profitable among them, and I don't need anything else. Now, in those days, there was a custom. A lot of, of, those, of the pastors back in those days, they would write a hymn to accompany their sermon. Uh, they didn't have the group from Australia writing songs for them. So they had to write their own. So they wrote, they wrote songs to kind of go along with their sermons. And so this, the next Lord's Day, after John Fawcett said, we're not leaving, we're going to stay. Unpack the wagon, folks. Let's stay here. The, the following Lord's Day, he preached from Luke 12, 15, a man's life consists not in the abundance of things that he possesses. And that was his sermon. But he wrote a hymn to go along with that. And I think we're going to have the words of the hymns up here. By the way, I like that slide. Thank you. Bless be the. Can you show that slide again? Cool knot. I'm going to talk to you about knots in just a minute. Cool. And I thought at first it was a square knot, but it's not a square knot. That is not a, that is not a square knot. Do y'all know when a knot is not a knot? It's when it's not. <laughs> but, but here's the words of the song. I want to put it up a stanza at a time, and I'd like to, to read it to you. Here's the first stanza of the song. This is, this is the hymn that John Fawcett wrote after he was going to, to leave and everybody was weeping. Then he changed his mind and he decided to say, and they all rejoiced. And he said, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Next. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one. Our comforts and our cares. And he's talking about a congregation that he's joined with. The next one. We share each other's woes, each other's burdens bear. And often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. And next. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. But we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Now this is what he wrote. This hymn became a hymn that was sang in high church uh, often. And, and they would, a lot of times, just sing that first verse. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. 
the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And they would sing that last phrase, that last, that first stanza. They would sing it as everybody was leaving church. They didn't know if they would make it back again. They didn't know if they would all come together again. But they sang that as a departure hymn. You know, like we sing Old Exine at the first of the year, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, this was, it was, became a tradition. And to a lot of people, they only thought it only had one verse because that was all they were saying, that first stanza. And they lost the history of how that song came to be. But it's easier to understand the song whenever you can understand the setting of the song. That last one, when we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. When I came into church tonight, I saw Brother Thurston here. I was thrilled to see him. Glad, glad you're here, Brother Thurston. We, we love you. And so I went and talked to him, and he's handling things pretty well, but, um, well, when you, when you love that deeply, the grief really hurts. And, but he told me, today is their 49th anniversary, wedding anniversary. I'm glad that you're in the house of God among people who love you. And we sorrow with you. And, but blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one. Our comforts and our cares. We share each other's woes, each other's burdens bear, and often for each other's flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. And I'm glad to be a part of a congregation that can sing this song. Blessed be the tie that binds. Many of you, many of us, have suffered loss and hurt and pain but I'm thrilled to be a part of a congregation that can help me bear that loss and so I want, I want to say as a compliment to this congregation thank you for being what a congregation should be one who can fulfill the words of that passage of that, of that hymn blessed be the tie that binds it was published in 1782 that's the first time this song was ever published and it was published under the name brotherly love and that really is brotherly love when we think of blessed be the tie that binds. He finally died at the age of 77 after living a rich, full life. Now, that's, uh, that's him. But let's talk about us just a little bit. There is a tie that binds us together. There is a tie that unites us together. And, but there are, some, there are some things that you and I share in common. This, we share a common source of strength. My strength cometh from the Lord. Your strength cometh from the Lord. And we share. Not everyone you walk, uh, what you walk up to and meet on the street or on your job or in your school or wherever you go, not every one of them have that common strength that you and I and we as a congregation share. We share the strength that comes from God. We also share a common enemy. If they're against my Savior, 
it's not that I want to harm them. It's not that type of an enemy relationship. But they, if they are enemies of Christ, then they are my enemy as well. Because I am, I hope, I am one with him. I walk Christ-like. We also have share common doctrines. There's doctrines all over the world. There's doctrines that have nothing to do with God. Doct doctrine is a teaching. But we share a common set of doctrines that we get from the Word of God, and Jesus is the core, the center of all that we believe. We share common worship practice. When we come into the house of God to worship, there, there is something common about our worship. We, we share it together. We even have common heroes. I'm not talking about Marvel heroes or whoever else those other heroes are. I'm talking about true heroes. Our heroes are people who make a mark for Christ. And we share common heroes. We share common friends. But all of that comes because we are together in Christ. And I'm glad that we can be that way. When Jesus was on earth, some Pharisees came to him and they posed a question to him concerning marriage and divorce. They, they, they were trying to trap him. They really weren't wanting to be enlightened, but they, it was an entrapment uh, process. But they asked a question. But this is what Jesus responded. And I'd like for you to kind of let this sink into your mind. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. John, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, verse 9. What, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. In some cultures, that joining together that Jesus was referring to, they call that tying the knot. How many of you have ever heard marriage referred to as tying the knot? In some cultures, in, in the process of the marriage ceremony, the, the, the bride will have a card or a rope, and the groom will have a card or a rope, and, and the, the officiant, the one who is officiating the, 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 the ceremony, the, the pastor, whoever, they will, in, in a public sense, they will tie those two cards together in a knot. And they refer to that as the marriage knot. When Jane and I was make, making our wedding plans, she was from the city of Baton Rouge in, in Louisiana. And so she had a home pastor. Well, I was from De Quincey, Louisiana. I had a home pastor. We loved both of them. And at the time, I was assisting a pastor in Dallas, Texas. And so I was very involved in, in that pastor's work. And so we decided to have all three of those pastors perform our wedding. So each of them did a little part of our wedding. So Brother Curtis Young from Baton Rouge, Brother T.D. Carville from De Quincey, and Brother Ari Johnson from Dallas, Texas, those three pastors helped to tie the knot. And someone asked me, why did you have three? And I said, because I don't want the knot to come untied. So I want a lot of people there to tie it tight. One of the, one of the ministers responded back to me and says, if you don't pick at it, it will stay tied. Sailors, especially the old sailing sailors, they tied a lot of knots in the in the the rigging of a ship, the sails, uh, all of the ropes, the anchors, if it wasn't chains, all of the, they just, a lot of knots. It, you can Google sailors' knots. There's all kind of knots that, that sailors use. There was slip knot, square knot, uh, sheep bend knots, uh, overhand knot, clinch knot. My favorite knot that I, it wasn't my favorite, but it's the one that I tied a lot. It was called a hatchet knot. 
and, and the old man who worked with me, with, we had horses back in the day, and he was, he was my mentor in horses. When he saw my knot one time that I'd used to, to tie a horse up, he said, he said, that's a hatchet knot. I said, why do you call it a hatchet knot? I said, because you'd have to have a hatchet to untie that. You know, I really a messed up knot. But, but sailors had a tool. It, it was a, it was, it was, you could use a nail, but they had a special tool, kind of like a nail, a long nail, thick enough to hold it easy with your hand, but it came out to a good sharp point. And, and sailors would work at that knot to untie it. Or if they were braiding a rope, if they were making, putting a rope, braiding a rope back to itself to make an eye in the rope, that, that doing some back braiding, they would use, use this tool. It was called a fid, F-I-D. They would use a fid to loosen the cords of the, of the, of the twisted rope so they could back braid a rope into it. Or if a knot got wet and pulled tight and they couldn't untie it, they would use that fid to work at that knot to try to unloose it. There are some knots in your life and in my life that we don't need to pick at. We don't need a fid on some of those knots. Some knots we need to untie and get clear. But there are some knots we... There are knots that tie me to you, that help us to share communion in Christ. And those knots, we do not need to pick at them and try to untie them so that we can go our separate ways. Because the things that bind us together in appreciation, we say, blessed be the tie that binds. The things that hold us together. It, the togetherness is wonderful, but the things that hold us together are wonderful also, years ago, <clears throat> I served on the curriculum committee. I served there for, I don't know, 25 years, I guess, on a curriculum committee. We, all, we were studying, uh, developing curriculum. And Rick Weiser, who at that point was pastor in Chicago, you may know the name. He's now pastor in, in New Orleans. New Orleans, that sounds like I'm a, from Louisiana. New Orleans. Brother Rick Weiser, would, he, he introduced us one time to the togethers of Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And when you read Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, and I'm not going to read all of them now, but, but you may want to read Ephesians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 and look at all of, of the together expressions. Here's, here's what they are. Paul was writing, he said, talking to believers of, of, of the place of Ephesus, he said, you are gathered together. You are quickened together. You are raised up together. You are made to sit together. You are fitly framed together. You are builded together and you are fitly joined together. Paul was saying that that group of believers in Ephesus, they were together in more ways than one. And he was, he was accenting their togetherness. That's why tonight I'm kind of hammering home on the thought, blessed be the tie that binds. The things that hold us together is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It's a familiar passage. Uh, I had marked it at one point. Y'all probably could race me and beat me to finding it. Hebrews 10, verse 25. It's a familiar passage. You, could, you, you know it. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. When we read that passage, if we're not careful, our, our immediate connection is, oh, it's raining tonight, but that Bible verse says, don't forsake the assemblings of yourself together. So ignore the rain, drive through it, and get here and, and wait and hope it'll quit raining. But then church time, you just run on in anyway. So the verse of scripture that tells you to do that is forsake not the assemblings of yourselves together. But that verse of scripture is bigger than just a Wednesday night Bible study attendance. That verse of scripture is, is deeper than that. It is it, it, it has something more that I think we need to look at. He, he was telling the believers to stay connected to the body. Stay connected to the church. Not just in a single church service attendance. I mean, that's part of it, yes. But, but bigger than that is don't forsake the church. Don't leave the church. Don't abandon the church. Don't desert the church. <clears throat> and the word that he used in forsake not the assemblies is the same word that he used when he said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So those two passages of scripture share the same original word, and in the English as well, forsake. Forsake not the assemblies of yourselves together. But that same connotation is, is how Demas forsook him. How did Demas forsook Paul, forsake Paul? He left Paul. He deserted the ministry. He went to another town. He, he abandoned Paul. And so when, when the writer of Hebrews, which perhaps was Paul, when the writer of Hebrews was writing and said, forsake not the assemblings of yourselves together, he was in, in the big picture, he was saying, don't desert the body of believers that you're a part of. Don't desert. Don't abandon them. Because each of us need each other. And in my deficiency, you have sufficiency. And we can pull together and we're more complete in Him when we are together. That's why I want to drive home. Blessed be the tie that binds us. Blessed be the tie that binds. Jude the third verse. There's only one chapter in Jude, so you, you'd never say Jude 1, verse 3, because there's only one chapter. So it's just Jude 3. So in Jude 3, Jude is writing, and Jude writes, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Now, now the, Jude, the, the, the writer of the book, he is, he is addressing a group of people, but uh, believers, and he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. There's two ways we can interpret that little phrase, I write unto you of the common salvation. We could look at that as, I write unto you about the common salvation. That's one way of interpreting that scripture I write unto you of the common or I write unto you about the common salvation but another one another way and it may be more appropriate is I write unto you who have experienced this common salvation if I would say uh, brother Cozart I write unto you uh, 
of what's your town? Where do you live? Wentzville, okay. So I write into Brother Cozart of Wentzville. It, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a little phrase that defines him. It's Brother Cozart of Wentzville. So when I'm writing, when Jude was writing unto the, unto the people, the believers, he said, I write unto you of the common salvation. He was identifying his audience when he says, you are of the common salvation. And by, when he used the word common, he didn't mean it's just an everyday old thing, this salvation. He didn't mean that it was common like that. He didn't mean that it was cheap. You know, when you think of some, some things that are common, that means they're cheap, kind of dirty, you know. So he wasn't saying that they were just common and cheap and no, no value. He wasn't saying that at all. But instead, the, when he chose the word common salvation, it's common in that all of us have experienced it or can experience it. It's common in that it's, in, in that it's available to all of us. So I write unto you, how do I define you? I define you. You are, you are part of those believers who are of the common salvation. And that's how I address you tonight. You of the common salvation. We are tied together by a salvation experience. We're tied together by a plan of salvation that with faith we can reach into God's promises and experience the cleansing re, re, through our repentance, the forgiveness, remission of our sins. By his, the infilling of His Spirit, we can have that overcoming power inside of us that gives us it's more than just a power to live day by day, but it's a power that will enable us to escape this world one day. But it's that common salvation. That's one of those ties that bind us. Blessed be the tie that binds. And after identifying them and, and, and stating one of the knots that held him together, held them together, then he said, don't pick on those knots that hold you together earnestly contend for the faith. Don't pick it apart. Don't just pick it every little thing that, that, that of every doctrine that you come across that, that's, that's from God. Don't, don't pick it to death, but instead embrace those things that hold you together. Don't, don't pick at the knot, but instead, by God's help, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Now, I'd like to go to, and I, I, I'm racing the clock tonight. I'd like to go to Psalm 133. Psalm 125 uh, through Psalm 134. This group of 15 psalms, I believe it is, the, this group of psalms are, are sometimes called the, the psalms of ascent, you know, going up. Uh, sometimes it's called the Psalms of Degrees or Songs of Degrees. But this was a group of psalms that David and, and others wrote. And, and the people of Israel, God's people, would sing these songs. It was songs that they sang as they were traveling back to Jerusalem from wherever they lived in all of the, all of the lands around Jerusalem. When it came time for their feast days, their celebrations, and everybody was going back to Jerusalem... They had songs that they sing. They didn't sing 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles of beer, take one down, pass it around, 98 bottles of beer on the wall. They didn't sing that as they traveled 
on youth camp trips. No, they sang these songs of ascent. And I should have said root beer. <laughs> that was not appropriate. My apologies. I just was singing it how we sang it. But they didn't sing those songs in their traveling back to Jerusalem to the place of the temple, the place of their sanctuary. Instead, they sang these psalms of ascent. So I want to, before I talk about this particular Psalm 133, I wanted to tell you what kind of a song it was and the purpose of it. But here's what the song, Psalm 133, says. Behold, and, and I can't imagine how they sang this. I can't even put a tune to it. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This is kind of like a, a Philippians 4 and 8. You know, watch everything is lovely, beautiful. Think on these things. Well, this is one of those kind of thoughts. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, sisters also, not just men. It's great when we can dwell together. Blessed be the tie that binds. And so he says... The unity of the, of the brethren is a wonderful thing. But the psalmist who wrote this song wasn't content just to make a statement and say, oh, it's, it's great, it's beautiful, it's pleasant for men to dwell together in unity. He wanted to give us an example of, of that. So it's a good teaching method. He gives the, the teaching and then he bolsters it with an example. But his example was... It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirt of his garments. That, that's what this, this brotherly unity is like. The, my illustration, my example of that is it's like that anointing oil that was poured on Aaron went down, down his beard, all the way down to the hem of his garment. What a, what a unique picture. But, if, but, but sometimes a little more, a, one more step of explanation may help us understand it because it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30 is the first passage of Scripture that talks about that anointing oil that anointed the priests, Aaron and the others. And, and when God was telling the people how to do this. He gave them instructions on how to make this anointing oil. Had five, five ingredients, and he gave them the, the, the right uh, amounts. He said, do 500 shekels of pure myrrh and 250 shekel, shekels of sweet cinnamon and 250 shekels of sweet calamus and 500 shekels of cassia and one hen of olive oil, H-I-N, one hen of olive oil. So each one of these ingredients, the five ingredients that made up the anointing oil, each of these ingredients had a certain amount of that ingredient that needed to be put into that recipe. So four spices and one liquid, the olive oil, and then they mixed all that together. And that became the holy anointing oil as scripture terms it one one place or more than one place it calls it ointment the holy oil of ointment one spice did not make a holy ointment two spices did not make a holy ointment 
four spices did not make a holy ointment. And four spices and oil together did not make holy ointment. But it took four spices and one liquid in the proper measurements mixed together for the proper purpose for it to become the holy anointing oil. Now, so you understand the oil. It was poured on Aaron's beard. It ran down. It was that holy anointing oil, proper quantity, proper ingredients, proper mixing, proper purpose, and it, it, it became a holy anointing oil, poured and anointed that priest and others at various times. And then when the psalmist is writing his song of ascent, he said, how blessed it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like that anointing oil. What, what was special about that anointing? It was the, the thing that made the anointing oil holy is that all of these things were brought together to become one thing. Honored, given unto God. And they were singing it at that point. But what was happening at the point? There was this, this family over here. They were from this tribe. And it was time to go to Jerusalem. And so this little family started down a trail going toward Jerusalem. There was a family over there in their tribe. It was time to go to Jerusalem for celebration. And they began traveling down their trail. And every little rivulet, every little creek of people, as the people began threading their way toward Jerusalem, as, as these as these little rivlets of people would come together, it would get a little larger. And another rivlet, it's kind of like the, the confluence or whatever that word is, where the Mississippi and the Illinois River come together. I mean the Missouri River and Mississippi River come together and the Illinois River. And, and all of those are certain sizes, but when they come into the Mississippi, all of a sudden it all gets bigger. That's what was happening here. Every little family was started down a trail and someone would join them at that intersection. And where the road came to a Y, there was more people that joined. And as, that, as those individual little creeks, little rivulets of people, as they came together, it became a mighty river entering into the city of Jerusalem for them to have a time of celebration and sacrifice to Jehovah God. And so they're singing a song about that anointing all where all of these individual ingredients come together to make something precious in the eyes of God. And yet they themselves were also living out what that anointing oil exampled. As they all came together, they became an anointing oil, a sweet savor in the eyes of their God as they came together for the right purpose with the right mixture of people. And that's what we are here tonight. We're not just walking this earth, but each one of us... <clears throat> As, we, as we're leaving our home or our work or wherever to come to this meeting tonight, one came from here and one came. It was a little rivulet of, of, of Sister Danielle. That was just a single individual. Her, her husband is off youth camping somewhere. And then there was the Miller's rivulet that starts joining. The Cozarts River. And I could go all the way back. And then in the middle of the rain, they come in. The marks come in. They're a pretty good river when they come in. The marks come in. But all of us start coming in. And, and what is it? it? We are like that anointing oil. It's, it's various people coming together. It's the, it's the right mixture that God, God saves people daily such as should be saved. It's His doings. 
And he brings us together into, into a, a river that comes. And one day, one day, we're going to be going to our heavenly Jerusalem. We're going to be going to our place of sanctuary. We're going to be going to our place of eternal refuge. It's going to be a wonderful time. But it'll be because we considered blessed the ties that bound us. Blessed be the tie that binds. There's all kind of ties that bind us together. I hope that in tonight's time, your mind has been stirred to think of the blessing that we have of being a part of the body of Christ, a part of the church of the living God, a part of, of, a, of the assembly of the born-again people. All of us as, as individuals have been touched of God, but when we, when, not only when we come together under this roof, but when we as the congregation of O'Fallon. We are the church of O'Fallon. Uh, we live in Florissant. There was a, there's a large Catholic church there, and, and they have a lot of people. And they put a church sign in every one of their parishioners' yard. So everyone who went to that church had a sign in their yard, I go to whatever. And it seemed like everywhere you drove, there was that sign. You... you you looked at it everywhere. There was just signs all over the place. And even though we don't have signs in our yards, we are every place. We go, we meet, we mingle, and yet we come together. And wherever we are, even if we're not together in this building, we still are together as a part of the body of Christ. We have so many common things that pull it, put us together. And what unity really is, is when the things we have in common are greater than the things that divide us. And I'm glad that we have that, that ability to come together with God's overshadowing. He's the one that ties us together. Blessed be the tie that binds. Shall we stand today? Blessed be the tie that binds.